What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It is time for the Mainland Podcast, everybody. Um, I am Michael Citro, and uh, I am the managing editor and founder of TheMainland.com. We are SB Nation's Orlando City blog. Joining me, one of our writers, Andrew Harrison. How are you doing tonight? I'm pretty good, Michael. How are you doing? Well, you know, I'm doing okay. I've I've seen better days. I like was doing like leg workouts today, so my legs feel like you know noodles, <laughs> wet noodles. <laughs> but uh, you know, at my age, I don't know. Workouts are they're a lot tougher than they used to be. So uh, anyway, um. Coming off of a 2-2 draw against San Jose, uh, just a murderous gut punch of a last kick goal for the the Earthquakes on Saturday night, uh, ruining what was about to be just an amazing celebration on a very emotional night. Uh, I wanted to start out by just getting your overall thoughts on uh, a 2-2 draw with San Jose. I think you kind of summed it up a little bit. It was just a complete sucker punch to the to the gut to have almost grabbed those three points in the 91st minute and then to just lose them so with the final kick of the game but my main takeaway and the one thing that I was just genuinely upset about was I don't think the team as a team that was so important to this city at that moment put in the best performance that it was capable of it looked it was a team that said, we can't lose this game, so let's not even try. And I think they just didn't have the spark or the willpower to really go out and grab the three points. And I think that really showed, and we ultimately ended up paying for it. I I would have been a little upset, I think, if we had gotten the three points. Because once again, going back to the start of the season, we would have been putting in those performances that didn't deserve three points. But we would have been happy because we took them. Well, you know, it's very surprising to me that, that that's the way you saw it. But, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm not going to try to dissuade you from how you feel. I, I happen to feel that the team put in a, a very strong effort. They just had trouble in the final third. Um, we've seen it before. This is nothing new, especially with Kaká not on the field. But it looked to me that there were times when Kevin Molino tried to be too fine at the top of the box. He had Kyle Laren having a few opportunities to get in and and shooting at David Bingham. Um, but I thought that the team had had something on Saturday night that we hadn't seen in a while. And one of those things that they had was very, very dangerous set pieces. I thought mm-hmm. that Luke Bowden's service was very, very good. Seb Hines could have had a hat trick. Um, he missed the net just barely with one. He hit one right at the keeper. And then, of course, he scored on the third one that he got on to. And... Um, 
Adrian Venter also with just pinpoint accurate services. As the ball was flying in from Venter's um, corner kick, I said, uh, Brent was with me. Our, our Brent Petkus was uh, also covering the game with me. And I said, that is perfect. And I said, right as I said the word perfect, was when Hines got his head on the ball and went in. And Brent said, man, you called it. And I, I just saw the, the way the flight of the ball. And it, I said it just as the ball crossed barely over top of the first defender. And I said, and that's why it made me say that's perfect because that's the way you want to send in a, a cross on a corner kick right there. Just, just over the head of the first defender. And then you've got that wave of, of bodies attacking the ball in the air. And I thought that was just unbelievable. Um, you know, Carlos Rivas came on very late and with maybe one of his first touches in the game, sent a pinpoint accurate pass to the, into the box to, to Julio Batista who scored maybe the goal of the year for Orlando City. That was just incredible. Uh, you know, t- takes it, settles it, uh, not really settles it, but he, you know, he allows it to bounce and then takes it on the half volley and just crushes it right through the keeper. Couldn't do anything about it. Um, looked to be enough in the 91st minute, and, you know, and then that happened. So uh, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you, are you okay with this game being stretched into the 94th minute the way it was. Uh, I mean, I'm not okay with it, but I think once again, I, I'm going to, I'm going to lay the blame at a little bit of the city. You know, <laughs> we were wasting time. I think Breck Shea went down in like the 92nd and he kind of just like really took his time. Okay. 95% of the time, the referee isn't going to add that on game's over, but it was a close contest. We had just mm-hmm. snatched it. He's going to add that in. That's, that's about team management and game management, and I I didn't like that it went that far, but I can see how in the referee's mind it went that far, and I, I, that's when I talk about the lack of passion. I think that we did have some great opportunities. I just didn't see it for 90 minutes, and I feel like if it was any game where that's what we deserved, it was that game, and, and that's the only little disappointing I had, but I thought, I mean... I cried, hats off to Baptista. Probably want to, if it's not up for goal of the month when it all comes down to it, um, I'll be very surprised. And um, it was just, it, it just the contest locked something for me as a fan on that evening. Yeah, it was unfortunate. Uh, the the first San Jose goal was a switch off at the back, and you know uh, Kevin Alston had a little momentary switch off, and he made Tommy Redding defend two players and that's not going to work and as that happened the ball just happened to be a perfect cross uh into the box and uh, they were able to score on it and then the final kick of the game was rough because the ball fell to breck shea but he was flat-footed when it was in his feet so he wasn't really able to get any power on his clearance uh unfortunately and it was straight up the middle of the field had he been able to clear that maybe toward the sideline and it goes out for a throw you might get the whistle there um and to be honest, I think a lot of referees would have just blown the whistle anyway when he kicked it 45 yards away. Mm-hmm. But um, unfortunately, they didn't. It came back into the mixer. The ball squirted in, and uh, Servando Carrasco tried to nick it from behind. And unfortunately, it could have gone any direction but where it went, and we'd have been fine. But unfortunately, it fell perfectly for Shea Salinas. And, you know, he's not going to miss from there. So um, it was unfortunate, but I thought that the guys really fought and and seeing their reaction after the game and, and seeing them leaving the locker room and, and the looks on their faces, they, 
they really wanted that one, and that really hurt them. I think as much as it did us watching that final goal go in. And I think maybe you know maybe seeing that afterwards, I would have seen that feel or felt that passion from them. But on the in the gameplay and you know the ninety minutes that count. I didn't get that as a fan, and I don't you know. I'm sure they had just a hard week as everybody else in this city, and I'm sure mm-hmm. to a certain extent, you know, they they were they were hurt they were hurting too. So they did really want it. I just didn't I didn't feel it, and and I, I don't I'm not I don't really want to discuss it more than that. I just I, they they when we've had lackluster performances, I'm okay with it, but I will also say just to completely probably switch tactics here, the decision to bring on no Sereno was a joke. I, I don't understand at that point why you bring on a player that has really just led to a collapse of our midfield. He changed our shape. He made it so we were almost unable to play for the last 20 minutes or so. And I think that was also just a big mistake for me. All right, fair enough. I'm not going to argue with you. I, I don't think that that affected much. I think that the uh, certainly the lack of Darwin Saren's avail- uh, you know, availability hurt. I think that Inchi had been looking for a chance to get Notrino back on the field. Certainly he wants to get him on the field. He wants him to develop and be productive. Um, and I don't think he necessarily was bad. In fact, he was, he was very much a leader after the Batista, uh, the Batista goal. He was going around to the other players. You could see him. He's pointing to his head. He's like, think, you know, keep. I mean, he was, he was, but, I know you don't like him. I get no, it. No, no, but, it. but it's easy to be a leader when you're winning. I, I, I like, I, I want to see we're leading. I want to see him leading when we're one nil down. I want to see him in those motivations that it, it's, that's what I want. That's what I expect from players that are wearing my shirt. I want them. It's very easy to be a leader and say, you know what? Let's keep our heads down. We're focused. We've we've got the three points in the bag. Let's let's nail it shut. It's oh, maybe it is easy, Andrew, but I I didn't see anyone else doing that. I didn't see other players doing that. I saw one player doing that, and it's also hard for him to do that from one nil down if he's not on the field when it's one nil down. So. I'm not. I know I'm not like necessarily defending Antonio Notarino. He hasn't been good for this team, but I'm saying that it, I think that we project more onto him than maybe the guy deserves sometimes. Okay. And, and I think that it's you know I I get a little tired of I guess of hearing the same things over and over because it's like you know why did they even put him on? He's been terrible. Well, is the guy ever going to not be terrible if you don't give him a chance? I mean, there there are. There are reasons he's playing on this team, right. and it and it, and it, you know, the the team sees something to him, and I've talked to the players, and they see the talent, and it hasn't translated yet. But this is not the first player that's come over here from overseas and not, you know, instantly set the world on fire, and in, in fact has been detrimental at first. Um, but beyond that, um, who was your man of the match? I. As I was watching it, I was going with Carrasco. Um, I thought he he showed the hustle that I wanted to see um, that night. Um, mm-hmm. But I think he just he did switch off. Um, but I I still there's, there's a part of me um, I think I would really just give it to Vinter. I felt like he just kept on going and going and going. You talked about his pinpoint cross and just mm-hmm. the accuracy of that. And the fact is, we we all of a sudden were able to get that crossing 
tonight that on Saturday, and that mm-hmm. it made a whole world of difference. It changed our game. Instead of Kaká kicking it out on a direct corner, we were getting into the box, we were challenging, and we were we were putting up that fight. Um, so I'm going to go with Vinter. Yeah, it was very good and uh, very strong, and and <laughs> he was gassed when they took him yep. out. I mean, he could barely walk. Uh, he made a couple of forays uh, into the box, and you know he made some late runs, and he was just not quite able to get onto him just because he had nothing left in the tank. But he was he was strong, and I thought he played a good game. I'm gonna say it's easy to say Batista because he, he had the go ahead goal late, but uh, his passing was not quite what it normally is. I'm going to say Kevin Molino because of the way that he continually forced people to foul him and take and take yellow cards. He was he was always about a step away from just, you know, leading a 3 on 2 break or a 2 on 1 break and they would have to take the tactical foul to to break that up and I thought that if he could have just taken one quicker step away from them, you know, some of those times he would have been uh, he would have been in it. And then of course just slowed a tiny bit on that breakaway and allowed Marvell Wynn to to nick the ball. And that maybe a little bit savvier guy who's been in MLS maybe a few more years maybe would have been able to shield the ball to the point where he gets taken down from behind or at least gets the shot off and and maybe puts that thing in the net and doubles the lead and and maybe puts the game out of reach. But uh, uh, despite the fact that he did have some flaws in his game, I, I thought he was, for me, a dangerous player all night. And he was... You know, he was being asked to play that number 10 role. Mm-hmm. So uh, so Kevin Molino for me. And, uh, you know, we'll see if we can <laughs> stop having stop having draws and start having wins. And that's going to hopefully start this Saturday against Toronto. I, I hope so. I feel like, you know, now is probably the time more than ever to potentially grab something from Toronto. You know, Michael Bradley's not back yet. Um, mm-hmm. Giovinco isn't doesn't have those same people the confidence that he seems to have when Bradley's around in his, in his team and he also just hasn't been scoring um in such a prolific manner um recently um also his lack of assists are down and two young guys up front um they give us a chance to be able to get some three points on the board and continue trying to stay above that red line yeah, I'm gonna knock on wood right now because uh, talking about Javinko being having having trouble scoring. So um, yeah. you know, I don't don't want the hat trick to come out this week. Um, before we get to that, and we'll we'll get to, we'll talk a little bit about Toronto with our guests tonight, and we'll we'll have our matchups and predictions, key matchups and predictions, a little bit later in this episode 54 of the Mainland Podcast. But right now, let's talk about why can the Orlando Pride not score goals? That's a tough question. They. They look so good at home. They seem to have such confidence and such aspirations going forward. You know, Jasmine Spencer is just always running at the ball and taking risks and seeing that cut through uh, the the defense. And then it goes, they go away from home and they just look like so deflated. And I don't want to say it's travel because they're all traveling. It, it just seems to be that without the fans backing them with a fledging franchise, they just seem afraid to lose. So going forward is not an option. But in NWSL, one goal can make all the difference. The It's not as easy to score as it is in, in MLS or the men's game. So that sit-back approach doesn't necessarily work. And I think really we're seeing that on the road. That lack of confidence is just really hurting the pride at this moment. And mm-hmm. I... I don't see how they get 
to a, you know, it's only four teams that make it into the playoffs. And if you get no points on the road, you are never going to make the playoffs in the NWSL. Yeah, the last team that Orlando beat on the road, the only team Orlando's beaten on the road, Houston Dash, which is the team that comes in uh, to Camping World Stadium this week. In fact, by the time this podcast goes live, it will that game will have already been played. But uh, uh, this should come out Friday morning. We're recording it Wednesday night. Had to work around the Copa and, of course, the, the Pride game tomorrow night. But um, uh, it, it's interesting because the team has lost three straight after winning three straight. Every one of those, plus the loss before the three wins, all shutouts by one of the teams or the other. So they've been involved in seven consecutive games that have been shutouts, uh, either on the winning side or the losing side. And, you know, only two goals on the road all season long, and that's definitely not going to get it done. It's unfortunate that, you know, Alex Morgan has had some scoring chances the last couple games, but she's not been able to find the net, and, and keepers have made very good saves on her. Yeah, and I think that's it. You you. You know, NWSL is there's not going to be a lot of opportunities, but when you do get those opportunities, you have to convert them, and that is really what's been hurting us. We just we can't get that conversion. But we've also come up against some great keepers um, recently in Labby and in um, I've gone, I've gone the other one escapes me right now. But you know, we are we're trying our best and we're just not able to break through. But the fact is, really only Ed. Um, Gone forgetting the name again too. Um, my goodness, like the Alex Morgan, you know she has. The fact is, we're only talking about her having opportunities. We have usually two other forwards on the field. Um, mm-hmm. We have to get them opportunities as well. It's great that we want to put everything through her, but she is not a one-woman team. This is a this is a team, not an individual. Mm-hmm. And we have to get other players and other opportunities. And obviously with Sanderson leaving a lot of our through balls and assists were coming from her, and I think we've potentially lost even more ability to potentially score on away from home. Yeah, you just led perfectly right into my next question. It was going to be about Leanne Sanderson. What do you make of this trade? Because she was the easily the best distributor on the team, but I'm not sure she was the best suited for the you know the formation that Tom Sermani has put out there this year, this 4-3-3. She doesn't have a lot of pace. And I think it was pretty evident her last few games that teams were just throwing two people at her. She couldn't get away from them, and, and there was a lot of back passing, and she, she lost a lot of her effectiveness. Uh, I totally agree. I think she – and I think that was why she potentially – you know, the press release said that she was the one that asked for the trade. And I mm-hmm. think all those reasons you just kind of highlighted is the fact that people had learned how to play against her in this system. She needed to be able to go out into another system and get the chance to – be the contributor that she knows she can be. Um, this mm-hmm. was a team where she wasn't going to get that. And I think also the 45-minute, she only looked like a 45-minute player in this yeah. in this system. And unfortunately, in a team like NWSL, when you only have a roster of 18 and you have to put 11 on the field every game, and it's pretty much week in, week out um, this season with so many breaks occurring, that that's not going to work for her and it's not going to work for us. So we have to be able to ship her out, pick up that international spot. We've now got two and mm-hmm. I'm assuming that the club certainly has something in the works um, for some good international players from Europe. Yeah. And there's been some rumors about Caitlin Ford coming to, to Orlando, certainly a player that from Australia that Tom Sermani is familiar with from his time uh, down under. And um, 
you know, you, you spoke of, of breaks. <laughs> Speaking of breaks, Aubrey Bledsoe with a broken leg. Uh, the backup keeper is out for the season. Um, Ashlyn Harris is going to be leaving July 1st to go play in the Olympics uh, or at least be an alternate, and the alternates will travel. So uh, we will be without her. And, uh, you know, right now they're they're going to be reliant on a player out of North Florida, uh, you know, basically someone who's been an amateur player. So uh, it's, it's not a, a comfortable situation uh, at the back, particularly the way that the back line had played. And, and I guess you don't have to worry too much about the back line because they're all going to the Olympics too. So um, <laughs> there's, some, there's some depth issues coming up with the Olympics, and we're going to see – Sort of, uh, you know, what's going to what's going on? I'm assuming there's some kind of a roster exemption that teams will get for these uh, these players that are leaving, uh, so that they're not taking up occupying roster spaces while they're they're off playing in Brazil. But um, you know, uh, a big surprise for me was Kalen Kyle is going to be traveling with the Canadian team as an alternate. Yeah, I think we I think we'd kind of banked on potentially Kyle not making the roster, okay, mm-hmm. and. The fact that all of it, even she didn't make the main 18, but is going to get that alternate spot, um, kind of puts us in that even deeper hole. When you talk about Harris is gone, pretty much the the entire back line is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the midfield is gone because now you got Cal Sanderson gone, um, Morgan is gone. <laughs> You've basically yeah. only got four players left out of a team yeah. of 11 that are considered starters for this franchise. Um, that's not good going into this. And I think I'm not too sure what the roster exemption is for this right now, because I think the reason is they took the break. Um, and that is why they moved the transfer window um, up was so that you could kind mm-hmm. of bring in people on short gap contracts before Europe started again. And um, once the Olympics finishes, so I don't expect to see NWSL play too um, much hardball, but I think it expected to be a real hard time to fill the roster with enough talent to make the games good for the fans that are used to seeing Ashland Harris and Alex Morgan take the field. Yeah, this this team's definitely, you know, it's it's easy to forget with the start that they had that it's an expansion team, but you look at it and you say, all right, um, I think coming into the year, I think Spencer had six career goals and uh, Kristen Edmonds had been a career fullback, has been asked to take on some of the some of the offensive, you know, roles and and you know you you look at all the players that are going away and we talked about Caitlin Ford. There's another player that would be off with Australia uh, in the Olympics. You know, I'm I'm assuming with uh, you know and be gone for the international break. Um, this team seems to need some attacking talent, uh, mostly people in the midfield that can hold possession and and you know distribute the ball to to the forwards and uh, Alex Morgan obviously mainly the forward, but also, you know, Sarah Hagen's going to have to take on a, a greater role now. And, you know, she's not a pacey player. So, again, that doesn't really bode well for the shape that Sermati's playing. He, he's going to need more pace on the field. And it's going to be interesting to see if he can go out and get that with those international slots during this transfer window. Yeah, and I think, I mean, yeah, the, and the, one, the problem is, you know, I think they thought Hagen and Spencer would have started scoring by now with, Morgan mm-hmm. being in the middle and having that, those are uh, that distribution from her and 
they haven't. So it's very worrying. It's not like we can even really switch formations and just go to two up front with those as our main outlets. And we have to find somebody who's capable of scoring. But also, mm-hmm. other teams are going to be looking for people who can defend because the U.S. <laughs> taking their defenders and everybody else with them too. So yeah. it's going to be a toss-up all over the place. Expect some teams to come in and, you know, They'll, I, um, they will be a blowout during this Olympic thing that nobody is expecting because of the, the quality of people taking the field, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm kind of worried about that game at Seattle on July 23rd. That could be a really ugly, ugly game. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, Thursday with the Dash coming in. Obviously, by the time you're listening to this, the game will have been over, and uh, Carly Lloyd wasn't expected to play, still I think a week or two away from being able to go. Uh, she said she'd be good to go July 1st. So, um, you know, holding to that, she's probably just eyeing the Olympics at this point and not even trying to, to get back for the dash before then. Um, the good thing is for the Pride, four straight home games, even though the uh, the players, uh, the international players will be gone for two of those. But one of those games against Boston, which has been a, a pretty bad team this year, and another one will be against Chicago. And their their best players, obviously, will be away as well. Kristen Press and um, Listener and, and uh, players like that. Uh, uh, Julie Johnston. So uh, they'll be missing some significant players when they come in as well. So uh, we'll see what happens with the Pride. But they, you know, they got off to a good start, but uh, it's not been so good lately. And I think that's that's the key with expansion teams is that they can come in and, and be hot and look really good early. And then once teams sort of figure out their weaknesses, uh, then they have to make the next adjustment or they're going to uh, to find themselves buried in, in expansion team land at the bottom of the, the table. So yeah. uh, Tom Sermani's got a, a big job ahead of him. Uh, OCB taking a page out of Orlando City's uh, book and scoring a late goal. Uh, Pierre De Silva gets, a I think, an 86th minute uh, tying goal against New York Red Bulls 2, which is uh, one of the better teams in, in USL this year. They have... I think been second in the entire league to only to Louisville city. And, uh, you know, uh, Devron Garcia gets OCB on the board. Uh, New York pulls two of them back, uh, before the half. And it looks like they're going to cruise from there. But, and, and especially with OCB playing without Tyler Turner, who's, uh, who's on a two game suspension, but, uh, you know, Pierre De Silva, the 17 year old, they put Brian Rochez. We had a Brian Rochez sighting, <laughs> Andrew. Yes, they I put know. Brian Rochez on the field, and, and he ends up with a, a game-tying assist. Who'd have thought that? I, I don't even think you could have got bookies to take that bet. Uh, you know, like <laughs> it, I, I this, this franchise has turned itself around. It's great that it, it's it's getting competitive. You know, all of the MLS two sides um, kind of took this league by storm last year. They're kind of still doing it again, as you say. The Red, New York Red Bulls two are a strong side. These are the teams and players we're going to be playing in the future. Um, mm-hmm. We have to be competitive now, and it was great that Devron Garcia got a goal. Um, it was great that we got a game tying late sit like late goal <laughs> because that's great confidence, and it's great yeah. that you can do that. And from a young guy like Pierre de Silva, who, you know, he, he if he he'll be got to be making a U.S. Men's debut sometime in the near future, I think, or at least getting a, you know, a, a cap just to hold him down. Um, and then Rochez coming in and actually being useful. Who would have thought that? Even for five <laughs> minutes, he came in and he didn't just play like he had a complete giant chip on his shoulder. 
Yeah, it's point. it'll be interesting to see if Rochez has has turned that attitude around and and is is willing to do what it takes to be successful because he's got all the talent in the world. Um, for the record, he did say that he was trying to get the ball to Michael Cox, uh, but the ball <laughs> we'll went through. <laughs> yeah, to, it ended up being a perfect pass. So, um, you know, at least the formation was good and the attack was good. So uh, good instincts by everybody there. And it's good to see with the start OCB had that they have, have become really a, a, a very difficult team to break down, a very difficult team to beat, uh, especially in Melbourne. So, um, you know, good for OCB and, and we look forward to to more of that this weekend, hopefully. Um, men's national team, U.S., do we even bother talking about this 4-0 loss? I, I, well, how about this? If you want to talk about it, let's talk about the positives. And since there wasn't really any, we can probably just keep moving on. Um, the national anthem was nice. It was nice. You know, the, there was like two minutes. No, I think it was the first 60 seconds, and then Argentina got the ball and just marched it down the other end of the field. Um, yeah. And, and that was that was control of the game changed hands and then it was over um and you know i i, I do want to wish it you know that lavezzi gets better though after breaking his elbow going over the sideboards yeah that, that was scary did not look comfortable um but i don't think there's many positives to take away from this because they went in with such a great you know such a hype and all this feeling that Klinsman's like you know we can beat anybody on any given day and then it was just a trouncing it really was and i i i had a bad feeling as soon as i saw the, the team that he was putting out there yeah um because he had he had done this great job of finally settling on a, a formation and a and a and a, a set of personnel that worked really well and obviously you know the suspensions were going to force changes but I think there were probably people on the the roster that he could have plugged in and kept at least the shape. And he decided to go, you know, a totally different way. I don't think you can play a 4-4-2 against Argentina with any kind of, of confidence that you're you're not going to get overwhelmed in the midfield. They've got an amazing midfield. Mm-hmm. And they're going to if they if they've got you outnumbered there, forget it. And especially you know, Kyle Beckerman is not a like for like for Jermaine Jones, no matter how many people say that he is. He's just not the same player. I mean, Jermaine Jones is just he will dog you. He will not stop. He's relentless. And then he gets forward in the attack. I don't you don't see Kyle Beckerman leading the attack. And that was the one thing. I mean, how many touches did Argentina have in its own on the top of its own 18-yard box. They just played keep away for about 40 yeah. minutes of the game last night. If Jermaine Jones had been on the field, that wouldn't have been possible. But instead, you know, there was quite often 20, 30 yards between um, Funes Mori and anybody of the opposing, of Wondolowski and Dempsey high up the field. Mm-hmm. And they just literally just kept back, passing it back and forward. That's great. They'd already, they were already up. They didn't need to score again. And, Mm-hmm. I was watching the game, and you know, I turned to somebody and I said, "I even if we were to score right now, I wouldn't have any doubt that Argentina would just take the ball, march down the field, and score." <laughs> and, yeah, the it, it was pretty ugly in terms of possession because it, it looked like that early goal rattled them so badly that they had just the worst, maybe the worst touches that I've ever seen from a U.S. men's national team. And that's saying something because they've had, they've had, in fact, the one guy who didn't have a ton of bad touches was Jossie Zardes, who's usually the one that has them. Uh, But, you know, you had that early short corner, 
Uh, Fabian Johnson comes out and he doesn't clear it properly. It falls for them. It falls right to Messi, who's for some reason not Locked. got anyone <laughs> within 20 yards of him. And then, you know, the chip pass in, Guzan probably is okay if he just comes out, but he got he got caught in between two minds and ended up just holding his ground. And that was the one thing that he could not do. And, you know, that early goal was really important because I thought that the Americans were going to need a 0-0 game, get into halftime, and keep that confidence growing. Like, and, and then put the doubt in Argentina's minds. And they never were able to do that because of that early goal. Yeah, and I think Klinsman came out and said it, you know, they, they just they knew that Argentina was better than them. And that early goal, I think, because it happened so early and so emphatically from Messi, um, that was it. They said, oh, yeah, they are better than us. I don't know how we're going to win this game. And yeah. it showed. And giving them the the power and the opportunity to almost have 60, I think it ended up 65% possession, um, you're never going to beat the number one ranked team in the world, regardless if it's no. Argentina or Chile or Belgium of recent years. If they have 65% of the possession, you're just <laughs> not going to do it. Yeah, and if you are playing a team with a suspect goalkeeper and can't get any shots, that's probably not a recipe for uh, success either. Yep. Um, Romero has been at times very shaky, and, and they were not able to put a single shot on him. And um, unfortunately, there were two very, very good chances uh, one was a, a, a chance where Yedlin got into the box very deeply and he had two options and he split them and kicked it to the Argentina player. And the second was uh, late in the game to, to Pulisic and he tried to be just a little too unselfish. He should have just taken the shot because he could have scored from there fairly easily, I thought. Yeah. Um, you know, get to get them at least a consolation goal out of it. But, uh, uh, you know, hats off to... To Argentina, they they deserved it for sure. They to the, the free kick by Messi was ridiculous, and in a month where we've seen some ridiculous free kicks from him, that might have been that might have been the most ridiculous one. Well, it was amazing, and I'm just looking at the box score from last night's game um, on MLSsoccer.com. There's only one column where Messi didn't have a number, and that was fouls <laughs> conceded. That's how good of a player he was last night. Yeah, and it's. <laughs> It's unfortunate because he's the, I mean, not having Jones, Jones is the kind of player that's going to make his life miserable and they didn't have him in there. And Beckerman is, he's not really the same kind of player. He's a good defensive player, uh, but he's lost his pace. So he gives ground. He, he's willing to give you a few yards because he does, he lacks that pace that he used to have. And, and you can't, you can't defend Lionel Messi like that. Um, I thought they for sure should have stayed with a four, three, three. And maybe put Beesler back at left back and put Fabian Johnson forward uh, to sort of make up for Bedoya because I don't think Graham Zusi is a Bedoya. <laughs> he is not, unfortunately, as much as he would like to be. Yeah, and since Fabian Johnson is a very good midfielder in one of the best leagues in the world, I still fail to see why we're playing him at left back. I I think, yeah, I I you I, it's you you almost want to compare him to the Shea situation a little bit. And and you you know you can't convert somebody who's really good at playing left midfield um, for his club week in week out, um, mm-hmm. and then expect him to be able to really good at defending against three players that are probably worth about three hundred million dollars in transfer <laughs> value, playing him out of position. You, it's just mm-hmm. never going to work. And 
Yeah. You know, and I think somebody said it on Twitter too. I it may have even been you. You know, we're three 0 down, and you bring on Steve Birnbaum. Why? So he could give up the most comical goal of the tournament. That's all. <laughs> exactly. That's just why. just for that one more knife in the gut. Um, <laughs> I, I, it it hurts that they went out and put that kind of performance. I wanted to see a good performance from them just as much as everybody else, but that early goal was just such a sucker punch um, mm-hmm. and them realizing that I also, if it had been me, the players they had on to bring on the bench were Angel Di Maria, Sergio Aguero, Javi Pastori, yeah. and Eric Lamella. Yeah, kind of good. Four great players that <laughs> if they were playing, they would be instant starters for the United States. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's what to me was a big disappointment. It's like, okay, maybe we lose the game, but if we can play toe-to-toe with them and maybe lose a 1-0 game like off a set piece, you know, you can hold your head high and go, man, we took them to the mat. Yep. You know, we're, we've really come a long way. But, you know, or at least we put forth one, you know, Herculean effort. And, and, and you know, for one night we were, you know, it was, it was nearly glory. But, it, you know, to get shellacked like that, it just goes to show you the disparity between the world's top teams and the top teams in CONCACAF. Yep. Um, and I, I don't think that lineup makes the United States one of the best teams in CONCACAF. I, I think that the United States is, has no depth at all, and I don't think they will have depth until Jurgen Klinsmann leaves guys like Wondolowski at home and, and, and Beckerman. He's past his prime. I'd much rather see guys like Case uh, Vetter come in and, and um, you know, I mean, even the younger. Whatever happened to Julian Green? Yeah, he just disappeared. Uh, Zalelem and guys like, you know, I don't care if they're young. If they're young and they're better, play them. And, and, you know, people are, I know they're on the Pulisic hype train, but he's he's still he's still a young guy, and I think he's still a guy that I like off the bench. You know, I'm not surprised that they didn't start him. I am a little bit surprised that Nagby didn't start. But I, I think that Klinsman just said, I'm going to play it safe, play a 4-4-2, try to keep numbers behind the ball, and, they didn't play like that at all. No, I think, it, you know, in, in that situation, you know, maybe as you bring on Nagby to kind of play off behind Dempsey, but then you can at least allow him to pack the midfield against a, an incredibly strong midfield and also have mm-hmm. given the pace to get back. You know, Beckerman isn't covering the ground that he used to. Um, no. Neither is Zussi. You've got Bradley who's going to go box to box, but he's not going to be able to go box to box on Iguain, Messi, and Lavezzi. Never mind yeah. Mascherano, who basically played once again from the 18-yard box of both things. And even when the U.S. got the ball, he would charge after them, get the ball, and we never saw that once on the other side of it. And the one time we did, I think it was from Zussi, we almost forced the goalkeeper into an error, and we never tried it again. Yeah, it was was a real shame that there wasn't better pressure, more relentless pressure, but again, the, some of the guys that are responsible for that were not in the lineup, and and it's a shame that, um, you know, two yellow cards in the group stage and beyond, beyond I mean, they, I really think that after the group stage, they should wipe the slate clean, because it's so easy to pick up one stupid yellow card in a three-game group stage, yeah. and then, you know, and, and then to pick one up in the quarterfinal, and you're out of the most important game, you know, that the team has played in you know, in non-World Cup action. So, anyway, uh, they're playing for third place on Saturday night, uh, and it'll be uh, while, while Orlando City's playing Toronto FC. And that's a perfect segue, because our, our next uh, segment, we're going to talk to a guest a little bit about Toronto FC and see what the Reds are bringing to Orlando this Saturday night. 
Joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, we're happy to have with us the managing editor for Waking the Red, which is SB Nation's Toronto FC blog, uh, Mitchell Tierney. Mitchell, thanks for being with us this week. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. So I wanted to ask you, start off by just diving in and saying, you know, we haven't seen you guys since since last year, and just want to get a sense of what, what's going on with Toronto FC. What are the Reds doing? Who have they brought in? Who has left the team? And, and how sort of has the team come together this year, you know, in, in, in light of those changes? Yeah, so there'd be the, the four key additions, I guess, uh, that they'd start with. Um, evidently, Joe Bendick joined you guys in goal, which meant that Toronto FC replaced him with Clint Irwin from the Colorado Rapids, uh, who's been quite a good goaltender so far this season. He hasn't been tested too, too much, but when he has been, um, he's done a very very solid job so far and the reason he hasn't been tested is because Toronto FC who um, as you may remember from last season were pretty horrible defensively have made some uh, made some nice upgrades adding uh, Drew Moore also from the Colorado Rapids and then Stephen Betashore from Vancouver Whitecaps and Betashore especially has been important because Toronto really didn't have a good right back last year Um, so having a natural right back who can consistently give them minutes has been incredibly important to what this team's been able to do. And then uh, having Drew Moore as a leader of the back line has also been important. And then in the midfield, it would be Will Johnson, um, a well-known MLS veteran who's kind of come in and um, just helped an already good midfield with Michael Bradley, Jonathan Osorio, and Benoit Sheru. So it's it's been a it's been an up-and-down season so far for Toronto FC. They started pretty well. They had an eight-game road trip to start the season with Demo Fields. Uh, being renovated, and that went fairly well. Um, they picked up a lot of points on the road, which is always good in Major League Soccer, and then they came home and struggled a little bit, uh, losing a couple matches, um, then going on the road and getting smashed by the New York Red Bulls 3-0. But recently, uh, forms picked up again. They haven't lost in their last three, which includes, uh, or sorry, in the last four, rather, which includes three Canadian championship games. Well, and you talk about, you know, that upgrade defensively. Your last three games, you haven't conceded anything. Um, you've only scored the two, though. Um, do you see up front being a problem? Obviously, you're missing people like Bradley um, right now, but are, are you seeing a potential to get back on the scoring sheet? Yeah, that's going to be tough for Toronto. I mean, obviously, Josie Altidore would be the, the big miss right now as he's out injured uh, offensively. The team's really struggled to score since he left. Um, they have a couple of Canadian youngsters who are kind of filling in for him while he's away uh, in Jordan Hamilton and Mo Babouli. And other than a Canadian championship game where uh, Jordan Hamilton scored twice, the pair hasn't hasn't really done all that much in the scoring department. Um, so they've kind of been asked to fill some pretty big shoes in, in the Altidore. And the club this summer actually got rid of two two other strikers, Luke Moore and uh, Hercules Gomez, who went to the Seattle Sounders. So since then, the striker depth has been a little bit of a problem. And with Altador out, they haven't really had much of an answer. Uh, but defensively, it's been good. You know, they've they've definitely had a much better shape this season as a team. Um, they don't concede easy goals on the road and at home. And that's why they're, they've become a good road team in this league, is they can really shut down results and, you know, win one nil or even grind out a nil-nil result. You, um, you know, you mentioned obviously Josie Altidore, Michael Bradley with the U.S. Men's National Team for the Copa America, which flamed out spectacularly uh, <laughs> last night um, against Argentina. Uh, I guess there's no shame in that, really. But uh, Michael's still with the team now with the third place game coming up on Saturday. So, 
with the Canadian Championship game in the midweek, what kind of, of lineup changes or, or what kind of starting 11 do you see, Craig, uh, uh, do you see Vanny uh, putting out there on Saturday night? Well, he, you'll be happy to hear um, from an Orlando perspective that Toronto played pretty much a full-strength lineup against Vancouver as it was the first leg of the Voyager's Cup final. Um, so that probably means that they're going to have to make some make some changes at least to that starting lineup. I think a guy like Benoit Sheru, um, who's a veteran midfielder who's played a lot in the last couple and then was just coming off injury, uh, I think he might be a guy who... Um, who, yeah, gives away to someone else in the midfield. But I can't see them making too many changes because, again, they don't have all that much depth, especially up front. So they'll probably stick with a pretty similar lineup to, to what you can expect usually from Toronto FC. Well, and, and Sebastian Giovinco had such a great season last season, and he's managed to notch eight this year so far, but he really hasn't been helping in that assist column. Um do you think that's because there's just such inexperienced forwards up front that he's just trying to go it alone and carry this team once again? Yeah, maybe. I mean, part part of the problem uh, takes a lot. He takes a ton of shots, and some of them are ill-advised. And I know there's been some talk around Toronto FC that maybe he's not trusting his his other strikers too much. Which, you know, he find it hard to criticize Giovinco at all with what he does for Toronto FC. So. Um, I, I think it's honestly just not really knowing his strike partners just yet, um, especially Jordan Hamilton, who's played very limited minutes with. So I think it's just a matter of learning their tendencies and learning how they can help him become a better player. And once he does that, um, I think that they'll start to combine and we'll start to see the setups from Giovinco once again. Mitchell, are you seeing any difference this year in the, in the way that teams are approaching defending Giovinco because obviously he had he had such a remarkable year last year they've got to pay extra attention to him he's not a secret in this league so are you seeing any but any you know any differences uh, you know are people using more bodies on him or what are they doing uh the thing I would notice is teams are getting quite physical with him and you know that's a double-edged sword of course because uh sometimes it works and sometimes they're able to uh to you know, stop him and frustrate him, and that's that's when it's effective, and when they when the whistles don't go off that much. But at the same time, uh, you know, he's a pretty he's a pretty good free kick taker, as Orlando City fans know well. Um, so I think that you know, if if you give him a good good free kick in a good position, then that's trouble as well. So he, he's a tough player to handle that way. I think just maybe putting more guys on him, and especially the physical play has been how teams have handled him so far this season, and it's been effective at times but i mean there's some games where you just can't stop a player like that well and you know you can mark him out of the game but you've also got you know altador's missing bradley's gone right now um you know we know about will johnson and and giovinco who do you think that orlando city fans have to watch out for when you come down here on saturday um as as an offensive threat maybe mobile i think he's a player who He's really exciting. I mean, he's he's got good technical ability. He can beat players uh, down the wing, and he's he's got a pretty good cross to him. And he's he's a player who he's he's unpolished, but he's exciting. Um, and he's still waiting for that first goal. And I think once he gets it in Major League Soccer, he could be, you know, at least a very good depth option for Toronto FC. So I think he's due. So maybe uh, this will be the game where he finally finds the back of the net. You know, as a club, uh, fans of a club that are, you know, waiting for a new stadium to open next year, uh, obviously you guys have had some some major renovations to BMO Field. 
How have those worked out? Because on on TV and in the pictures I've seen, they just look spectacular. Yeah, they've they've been great so far. I mean, yeah, the stadium looks fantastic. It, it reminds you know it reminds you a lot of a European stadium when you step in there, and it's definitely added to the atmosphere. The last couple of teams have been um, just a treat to cover. I mean, the, the fans there are finally coordinating, and um, yeah, it's been incredible. The one problem, of course, is with these renovations comes the CFL, which is the Canadian NFL's uh, Toronto Argonauts, who are a football team, which means it's not necessarily soccer-specific anymore. Now, they still do have grass there. They're trying to, to fit the two teams, um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. We'll see if there will be any problems with with the playing surfaces. Um, they have been able to erase the line so far, so that's been good, but especially in the winter months, that could get a bit sketchy. Well, and, and you know, realistically, Toronto SC is like the fourth probably best supported team in Toronto behind the Leafs mm. and the Raptors, and then you got the CFL Argonauts. Um, how do you think it does as the fourth sport in getting in a fan base, especially, you know, I, 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 I have some real familial relationship with Toronto. Um, you know, the stadium can look empty at a time, and you've just gone and added 7,000 seats. How do you think that's going to really help the atmosphere? Oh, I, I think it's been pretty good. I mean, attendance has been up the last few years, um, especially with a player like, like Giovinco and obviously Bradley and Alcidro. I think that this team's finally starting to excite and finally starting to, uh, to, to I guess, bring in some of the early doubters. I mean, especially a player like Giovinco will bring in Toronto's big Italian community, and we've already seen that. There's been a, there's been a lot of Italians showing up at games and, uh, it, it will fluctuate, but um, I think one of the problems for, for TV, at least, is Toronto FC fans tend to show up a, a little late to games, so that's why it doesn't always look like the stadium's full, but when when you know the final whistle goes and the attendance figures are released, they're usually pretty good at this point. Well, you guys dodged a pretty big bullet in the... In the uh... The fact that Italy didn't uh, didn't invite Javinko to play in in the Euro this uh, this summer, uh, so that's got to be you know a big relief for you guys. But you know, as as Toronto supporters, you know, what, how do you guys see the Eastern Conference playoff picture kind of shaping up uh, now that we're a pretty good chunk into the season? It's interesting. I mean, it's it's been just so tight this season. Um, the, just a huge win for Toronto FC on the weekend against the LA Galaxy, where if they lost, you know, they could have just dropped out of the playoffs, and that's that's pretty crazy. I mean, it's you've definitely got to keep winning your games and uh, and got to keep uh, picking up points uh, if you're a club like Toronto, and you can't let you know these absences slow you down because um, the the second you put in a couple of bad matches, you know, you're you're on the outside looking in, and while while it's Nowhere near the cutoff date. Um, you, you, especially a team like Toronto, where they want to be, they want to be considered contenders, and I think they really are a, a contender for the Eastern Conference. You've, you've got to start winning and continue to win. Well, and you know, you're heading down here on Saturday. This, you know, the Orlando City team really didn't get the win that this city needed um, last weekend. Mm. Obviously, you're coming in and following that. We still need that win as a cathartic experience. Are you? Do you think Toronto's going to try to play for the win or just really batten down the hatches and grind out another, at least no defensive frailties, but just try to snatch one? Um, I, I think they'll probably go for it early and then, uh, you know, if, if things aren't working out, they'll, they'll probably um, they'll probably just try and get the point and get out of there. 
this is a team where, you know, obviously anytime you have Sebastian Giovinco on the pitch, you know, there's a there's a huge threat to score. I mean, there's been plenty of games over the past couple of years where Tornofsky's gone in and really had no business getting a point or two, or sorry, three rather. Um, but they've come out of it just because of the skill that Sebastian Giovinco has and his ability to pick up goals. So he's always a threat. I think they'll they'll definitely be focusing more defensively than offensively, but you know, if they see their chance, there's enough quality in this team that they can they can uh, at least get a lot of shots on net, if not finally, or not find the back of the net, rather. Well, Mitchell, before we let you go, I wanted, I wanted to ask you specifically about Saturday night. What do you think is the key matchup to the game, and what's your predicted final score? Um, <laughs> that, that's interesting. Um, I think it really depends on the, on the lineup that Toronto FC plays. Uh, Especially, you know, they do have the second leg of the of the Voyagers Cup final coming up um, right after or on the Wednesday after this match. So you'd think that that would be where they play the, their best players. Um, so I think it really depends on who Toronto plays, you know. Um, and then, yeah, again, I could see maybe a one-one draw or uh, or Orlando getting the win. I don't know if I see Toronto FC winning, um, just because again they're they're a little thin right now, but um, they'll definitely they'll definitely put in a good performance. I think either way, this is a team that um, whether they they win or lose or draw, they they tend to put in good performances this season. Well, Mitchell Tierney, managing editor from Waking the Red, we appreciate you uh, being with us. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you on the uh, on Twitter and on the internet? Absolutely. So, of course, uh, wakingthered.com for all your Toronto FC news, and then at Mitchell Tierney on Twitter. All right. Thanks, Mitchell. We appreciate it, and we will uh, we'll see what happens on uh, Saturday. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. We are just about out of time for episode number 54 of the Mainland Podcast, and we definitely want to thank our guest, Mitchell Tierney. He's the managing editor of Waking the Red the SB Nation blog that uh, covers all things Toronto FC. He's he's a very informative guy. Yeah, I think he gave us some good insight into Toronto. And, you know, they they had a tough start to the season, all away games, but they did that last season too. So mm-hmm. they're used to playing away from home and will, will be interesting and in, in getting some good insight into the players that they have, even though they're missing players like Bradley and Giovinco. Trying to find his fire this year. Yeah. Uh, well, let's hope he waits another game. Um, you know, they're right in the middle of their, you know, the Canadian championship and they're, so they've got a, you know, they've got a CONCACAF Champions League slot on the line, uh, in midweek. They just coming off of a win and then they're going to have to go and do it again midweek, you know, this coming week. So uh, how much do you think that'll affect their focus on Saturday? Well, you know, as mentioned in the interview, Toronto, the TFC is basically the fourth best sports team in Toronto. Um, hockey's always going to be there. The Raptors made an NBA playoff run. Um, mm-hmm. They are always going to be competing, and they need the money that comes from tournament competition. So <laughs> you can never underestimate the power of that Canadian championship for that CONCACAF spelt. Um, they're going to go that. They would rather win that and get into um, – that tournament than potentially just get three points on the road against this team. If they can get, if they don't have to go full force to get a point on the road, they will consider that a win, especially if they can stay fresh and keep everybody healthy um, on the Citrus Bowl turf. 
Yeah, it's uh, early in this tournament that they're in the Voyagers Cup. The you know Montreal was playing very well at MLS, and and Toronto thumped them pretty good mm-hmm. uh, early on. I think it was a three nil win or something like that. But it was uh, it was impressive, and it, it it's a team that's very good. They are stretched a little thin right now. Uh, we are going to have a nice hot, humid night uh, on Saturday, hopefully. Uh, maybe they'll wilt. Maybe they won't. Uh, it would be nice to see Orlando City get some early goals and maybe, you know, play a little looser, um, you know, than than what we see the tight, tight games that they they just seem to, you know, if they switch off or or lose their nerve for one second, you know, it's in the net and and here we go again. But it would be nice to see a complete game. We haven't seen one really since the the Portland game early in the season. Um, but, Andrew, before we get out of here, I, I want to get your key matchup for this Saturday and, and your score prediction. Key matchup has to be um, Tommy Redding, Sebastian Giovinco. I would say that Redding starts based on the back of his performance from um, last sun- Saturday's game. Um, they have to keep him quiet. He's really their only big-name guy right now. Um, mm-hmm. They do have some young talent up front, as uh, Mitch was saying. But I think if you can keep Giovinco out of the game, they're not – prolifically scoring right now you really take away their assist guy their setup and their opportunity to just grab that that game killer um if we can keep him quiet then i think we stand a chance um i think we're kind of struggling a little right now in the defense though um so i expect giovingo to grab one but i think we go a little bit better and it's a 2-1 win for orlando with I'm going to go Molino. I, you, you're right from the start. He did have a pretty strong game the other day. And then I'm guessing someone... I'm going to probably go Vinter as well on the other side and, and, and getting the other, and the winner. Well, we're also hearing that it was nice to see that uh, everyone has returned to training this week, uh, except for Ribeiro was out, still out with that back surgery. But uh, Kaká and Ramos and Saren all training, which is really good to hear. Uh, because I think Carrasco needs a break. He's been he's been really good, but uh, you know he's a guy who's he's logged a lot of miles uh, for this team in the last couple of months. So Krishna um, Gita is going to come in, and maybe Saren, maybe Saren off the bench. You know, maybe they start Carrasco and ease Saren back in because he's been out so long. Uh, you know, or maybe Saren might be another game away. Maybe Heath's thoughts are to to keep him out for another week and and you know just take it easy and be gentle and, and, and try to ease him back in so he doesn't uh, re-aggravate that, that high ankle sprain. But to me, that's the key matchup is the midfield. Both midfields against each other, but particularly the the attacking midfield of Toronto against uh, against you know Orlando City's defensive midfield. Uh, Carrasco and, and Higuita have to be on it, if that's the pairing, or Saren and Higuita. Um, they're, they've got players that can create problems for you. Giovinco's a very slippery guy. I see a Higita yellow card, <laughs> which, you know, going way out on a limb there. Shows that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not exactly – you don't need a crystal ball too much for that. But um, I think if he needs to keep his cool and and stay on the field and not pick up a second yellow, I, I think that he's, he's the key. If he can break up play and, and turn it around for, for the offensive players, I, I think that's the key to the game for me. And I – I think that Toronto has been very organized defensively. It's interesting that they they brought in two guys from the worst team in the Western Conference, and now both teams are better. <laughs> or, so, um, Colorado is the best team in MLS right now, so go figure. 
uh, after losing two very good players. Uh, but I, I think they've been hard to break down. And I, I, I see this, like like Mitchell said, I, I kind of see a 1-1 draw. And I'm kind of just going to be predicting draws until the draws stop. <laughs> <laughs> like blackjack, you know, if you keep if it keeps coming up black, you eventually bow black and then something else happens, it goes red. That's right. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think that past performance makes good, honest uh, predictions. <laughs> I see uh, for my goal. I see Kyle Laren getting back on the score sheet and, and uh, scoring against his, uh, you know, a team from his home country. So it's been a while for for Kyle Laren. Not a lot of games, but because they were off for three weeks, yep. uh, it's been a while since we've seen him put the ball in the back of the net. But uh, he had some chances last week, and I think this week maybe if if the captain's back on the field, especially, I, I like his chances to get a, a little bit better looks at goal. So that's the way I see it. Okay. Uh, so I think we've covered everything, haven't we? Uh, I think so. We pretty much rattled through. Yeah, yeah. We haven't talked about Europe, but um, some, you know, I, I for one, am willing to to bow down and accept uh, our new soccer overlords from Iceland <laughs> and uh, and Wales. <laughs> hey, you know, the the expansion of the tournament to. Uh, more teams has really paid off. It's given those those nations a chance, and I think that was kind of what it was a part of. Um, it's been great football so far. I'm excited about it, and I I can't say I really like the addition of the third place teams because um, mm-hmm. that gives other people a chance, such as Cristiano Ronaldo in Portugal, who have had a terrible tournament, but somehow they're into that knockout round and. I, I think that cheapens it a little, but I'm glad that those other teams that would never normally make it, like Wales and Iceland, are getting a chance. Yeah, it was nice. I mean, Portugal has been very, very disappointing. Where they had three draws in the group stage, right? And uh, yeah, including a, a three to three game today against Hungary. Yeah, I mean, and they thought that was one of those ones that was really going to cement their their second place, I think. And they just they've just been so disappointing. And the game against. Um, no, it wasn't Iceland. It was the Por- Switzerland. Yeah, the Portugal second game. Cristiano Ronaldo couldn't <clears throat> buy a goal with all of his money. He couldn't have bought a goal, um, <laughs> and it was it was it was incredible to see him get so frustrated because you see that comparison between Messi and Ronaldo all the time, and Messi just looked like he was having an absolute ball yesterday, and Ronaldo was just so frustrated with it, the fact yeah. that he has no supporting cast. <laughs> Well, that's no excuse to throw a reporter's microphone into a lake. It is not. But he has enough money to buy a new one. <laughs> that is absolutely true. He can buy him a gold-plated microphone to replace that one. So uh, hopefully he will do that because that, that's not cool. You know, I've, I've been there. Freedom and, of the press. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for episode number 54 of the Mainland Podcast. Once again, thanks to Mitchell Tierney, managing editor for Waking the Red. Uh, we haven't had a whole lot of our, our SB Nation brethren on this year because we've been getting really, really good guests from the club. But uh, it's nice to have, you know, bloggers from some of these other teams come on and, and, you know, tell us a little bit about their team because that was really informative. I haven't gotten a chance to see the the Reds much this year. Yeah, the, so. yeah it, you know, they're just one of those teams that if they're on and there's nothing else, you'll catch them. But, you know, it's not your, your go-to team sometimes. Yeah, they've just been a playing on nights when it seems like there's a lot going on and I don't get a chance to see them. Because I, I would turn on to watch Giovinco play for sure. Uh, it's just, they, you know, maybe they're on against, 
you know, opposite another team that maybe is coming up for Orlando City and I want to get a sense of how they play or something like that. There's always seems to be something coming up. I haven't got to see Toronto as much as I'd like to, uh, but I guess I'll, I'll get to see them on Saturday. In fact, I'm not even going to cover the game on Saturday. I'm going to turn turn the reins over to some of our staff and I'm going to actually go sit in the seats and have a good time, I think. You're welcome to come join us in the supporter section where you can throw beer around when we score. I would like to throw beer down my throat. That's where I like to throw okay. it. Not on other people or myself. <laughs> I just like to, you know, I like to drink it. That's just what it's for. And at $11 a beer in the Citrus Bowl, you should drink it. Oh, my God. That's unbelievable. But that's a that's a podcast subject for another day. <laughs> Uh, All right, that'll do it for episode 54. Uh, Again, thanks to Mitchell Tierney, and we will be back next week to to break down the Toronto FC-Orlando City match. We'll also uh, talk a little bit about the Pride. Uh, They'll have two games before we meet again. They're going to play Houston uh, before this airs, and then they'll play uh, Portland on Sunday. So uh, a couple of quick games back-to-back for them, and uh, we will... Also, of course, talk about OCB because they've got another game this weekend as well. So uh, on behalf of uh, our good friend Andrew Harrison, I'm Michael Citro signing off saying Go City!